Hello, good evening. Thank you for all packing into this warm room on such a misery cold day. Um, my name is Harry Burke. I am assistant curator at Artist Space. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Artist Space Books and Talks tonight. But Chinatown is not for sale. <laughs> uh, we, we don't usually get that at our, at our programs, but I guess this is part of the decolonization process, so <laughs> thank you. Um, this town hall discussion is one event of Decolonize This Place, a three-month project by MTL Plus that sees this space converted into a community space that is action-oriented around indigenous struggle, black liberation, free Palestine, global wage workers, and degentrification. Whilst feeding into a broader narrative around the complicity of the figure of the artist within the crisis that is gentrification in this city today, and with a follow-up discussion next week on Saturday the 29th on this broader issue, we as artist space and as decolonized this place understood that it was important to root this discussion within our immediate geography and for it to be led by those working closely with the local community. And it has been an honor to work with the organizers of tonight's event, Chinatown Art Brigade, in the first occasion of what I hope will be a long-standing relationship. I'd like to thank Common Practice New York, the Friends of Artist Space, and the Artist Space Program Fund for their long-standing support of our work, as well as, and, and, and for their support of this exhibition, and as well as everyone here today. I will now hand over to Natasha Dillon from MTL Plus, who will introduce more about Decolonize This Place and tonight's <coughs> discussion. Hi everyone, thank you so much for coming out. I'm not going to take too much time. Um, I'm Natasha Dillon, I'm one of the members of MTL Plus uh, who is holding down this space. Uh, we're here till December 17th, um, so come through. And so I just want to begin by saying that apart from acknowledging that we are already on occupied land and that uh, you know the space is also organized around different colonies around the United States, so Palestine and Puerto Rico are also important. And um, but I think one of the most important things for us to, was like you know to also think about that we are right next to Chinatown and uh, how is art and artists and art institutions um, you know uh, responsible for the gentrification process that's happening here. So we're really excited to be collaborators with uh, Chinatown Arts Brigades, um, who are amazing. Um, and so I'm going to hand it over to Mimi. Hi,大家好。那我是蒋国瑜的，我们是代表呃唐人街艺术团队。那欢迎大家今天这么多人来到，好好高兴啊。嗯，那第二个呃，就要讲一下呃，绝不出卖唐人街活动和贵族化的问
we are uh, so happy to see you here and uh, welcome you to Chinatown is Not for Sale, the second in a series of conversations, <coughs> of community-led conversations about art, displacement, gentrification in New York Chinatown. My name is Tamia Arai, and I am one of the co-founders of the Brigade, along with Betty Yu and Mansi Kang. Mansi, are you here? Uh, she's in the back. Um, I'm, I'm really uh, overwhelmed <laughs> by the response uh, to this uh, panel. Uh, Julian Terrell, who was the scheduled moderator for this evening, was unable to make it. Uh, so in the spirit of collaboration, I am co-moderating this panel with Amin uh, from Decolonize This Space with an assist from Harry from Artist Space. So um, we really hope uh, that uh, we can get very quickly to the, uh, the discussion and the dialogue and the conversation. Um, before we begin, I just wanted, to, uh, just wanted to get a show of hands of how many people in the audience are artists or in art-related fields. Great. Um, can I get a sense of how many uh, galleries are represented here? Thank you. Would you mind just <coughs> shouting out the names of your galleries? Thank you very much. And how many people here are representing community organizations? Can you just shout out some of the names of your organizations? Queens is not for sale. Bronx is not for sale. Mothers on the move. Wow. <coughs> Picture the homeless. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> so. I think it's going to be a great discussion. Um, so I'd just like to quickly explain the format for this evening's panel. We've asked five panelists to uh, give uh, five-minute presentations, um, with the exception of uh, Professor Peter Kwong, who will be giving a 10-minute uh, historical context for the, um, the discussion we're about to have. Um, after the panelists have given their statements, uh, I will hand the mic over to Amin, and uh, he will be facilitating the Q&A. We'll begin with uh, two-minute um, statements from five respondents, and then we will open up the conversation to the audience. Um, <coughs> so let me see if there's anything else. Oh, okay. Uh, so we had envisioned this evening to be a town hall type style conversation. And we just do, uh, like to establish some very simple ground rules for the people in the room. Um, basically, if you are speaking, please uh, keep your remarks brief, respect the time, um, and most importantly, listen to and value the people who are in the room. Um, and this is very important. And finally, uh, be productive. Oh, okay. So I was reminded to uh, inform people that this is about, uh, this event will be filmed 
by artist space. Um, so if you have any problems or uh, with that, please uh, come forward and uh, we'll, or perhaps move to the back of the room if you uh, don't want to be included <laughs> in the film. And uh, Betty wants us to <laughs> remind everyone to tweet hashtag Chinatown not for sale. <laughs> Any other rules? Let's see. Um, so I think we're, we're about to start. Um, we've, got, uh, we've agreed to dispense with formal introductions, um, but I would just like to uh, tell you that in order of speaking, we will begin with Peter Kwong, uh, and we'll go on to Liz Moy, uh, Juan Puentes from White Box, uh, Margaret Lee from 47 Canal, and we're going to end with Betty Yu from the Chinatown Art Brigade. So um, I would like to introduce a distinguished professor from, of urban policy and planning from Hunter College who will give some context in history to this discussion. Thank you. Peter Kwong. Thank you. Uh, before I start this very daunting test to try to sum up everything that has happened in 10 minutes, that I do belong to this, uh, this room. Uh, I'm an artist. I'm a filmmaker as well as a writer. Uh, I hope that helps. Um, anyway, so I'm going to give a little bit of background of the anti-gentrification uh, history in the Low East Side, and particularly in Chinatown. Chinatown is one of the last, is everybody can hear me? Yes. Chinatown is one of the last working class neighborhood left in Manhattan. Given its location and history, it will be the next area to be developed into luxury neighborhood. It sits in the middle of Wall Street, the trendy lofts of Soho and Tribeca, and the booming nightlife of e uh, Low East Side. Gentrification, however, is not guaranteed. Unlike many other places threatened by gentrification, Chinatown is thriving. There are few opportunities for speculators to exploit, since vacant apartments are very scarce and storefronts are filled with small businesses. For 125 years, since 1890s, China has been the home for Chinese immigrants, a place to work and shelter away from discrimination and racial attacks. From 1970 onwards, Chinatown expanded dramatically, has been an engine of growth, creating jobs for a steady wave of new immigrants, first from Grand Canton, recently from uh, Fujian, now from a very diverse origin all across eastern China. This engine of growth did not falter, even with the decline of the garment industry in the late 1990s, uh, one of the pillars of community's economy. And since 2000, Chinatown has reinvented itself, creating new jobs and new opportunities. From 2000 to 2010, the neighborhood's job creation has increased by 55%. Today, Chinatown's economy is not just providing jobs for those inside of Chinatown. It is creating opportunities for immigrants far and beyond its borders. 
Chinatown has become the major supply source of wholesale produce, meats, kitchen equipment, restaurant furnishing, construction materials, and printing uh, for thousands of Chinese restaurants all across eastern New York, uh, East Coast. It acts as an incubator, securing food, uh, goods, and providing finance, finance, financing and, uh, and uh, business know-how to a variety of small services and retail businesses that have mushroomed around scattered settlements of professional Chinese living in the suburbs, uh, Long Island, Westchester, New Jersey, and beyond. Despite all this success, Chinatown is under attack. United States economy in the 21st century has been fueled by transient global capital. And the Federal Reserve's low interest rate, it is guided by an aggressive corporate strategy to profit from real estate investment wherever possible. At the local level, New York City has been engineering uh, policies to retake the city for the rich. After September 2001, the city, state, and federal government pool about $2 billion into private development projects to help boost the speculative fevers in lower Manhattan. The city has per, uh, pursued target rezoning, which encouraged massive new developments and in, uh, in, poor, in previously uh, restricted industrial zones. Tax abatement for luxury developments have become commonplace. Extel Development Corporation, for instance, was giving generous subsidies to build the city's taller residential building near Central Park. A penthouse unit at 157th Street was sold for 100 million. Now Extel, the same company, again, with generous tax abatement, is building the infamous super luxury condo, One Manhattan Bridge, raising 80 stories from where Pathmark used to be, right above, uh, right next to Chinatown. Incidentally, quite a few other high-rises of that scale is thought to be following. So Chinatown cannot but be affected we can see the results right in front of our eyes. The community is beset by evictions and harassment. Landlords are seeking higher rents, pushing out working class Chinese immigrants and families in favor of wealthier tenants. On the border of the community, boutiques, hip restaurants, nightclubs are popping up, squeezing out Chinese small businesses. Local and international real estate interests are hyping the neighborhood's potential and clamoring for a rebuilding of Chinatown to accommodate luxury high-rises. Their primary tactic is to frame the area as dirty and backward, while enticing uh, investors to suggest that the place could be cleaned up and try to sell the exotic Chinatown brand and its cultural heritage. In 2011, a business improvement district was established. It could extract fees from uh, tenants and small business and privatize uh, cities' functions like sanitation and security. Its real aim is to abstract developers, increase Chinatown's land value. These so-called public-private partnerships have proven to be 
try and true path to gentrification. Chinatown residents and small businesses demonstrated, signed petitions against it, and even 550 landlords signed up to oppose it. According to people in the city who knows about this, this kind of resistance was a very rare situation uh, in places that had established bit previous to that. Some of the nonprofits are working with these developers in the name of providing affordable housing, such as inclusion and zoning, which is not at all affordable for the people in our community. We can talk about that later. These groups usher developers into the community and introducing high-income residents, changing the whole economic and social environment. Many nonprofits and educated Chinese American included who live outside the community back those initiatives, also in the name of progress. They're embarrassed by the neighborhood's defiantly working class character and derided as stagnant, low-wage community with little value and no capacity for growth. This is a serious misunderstanding. They fail to realize that the neighborhood operates on a wholly different model from the typical Western market economy. The latter, capital, that latter is <clears throat> capital intense and dependent on technological improvements and ever more efficiency in the use of labor. The Eastern, or rather the Chinatown model, is labor intense and its growth is based on an ever more defined, refined division of labor. This model features large cluster of highly competitive, low-profit small businesses. There is little vertical integration between companies and very few monopolies. Nobody is making much money, and the growth potential is slower. But it has the advantage of allowing more small independent enterprises to operate in a steady economic environment than the Western model. Despite these, this, uh, uh, the, the, these strengths, Chinatown's low profit business model is extremely fragile. Uh, any undue cost increases, such as rent heights or bid fees, could easily threaten the small business survival. As wholesale rezoning uh, 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 that allows high rises could be catastrophic. Tenants would be displaced and evicted. Luxury con uh, conversions and uh, constructed would turn the neighborhood into a elite enclave. Small businesses would be replaced by boutiques, big, big box and chain stores. And Chinatown would be no longer a home for working class immigrants. In effect, it would be created a new, China, a new Chinatown on top of the old, keeping the buildings, but none of the people. Most of all, gentrification would tear up the socioeconomic fabric that enabled the community growth for decades. However, very fortunately, there is organic opposition to gentrification, which, is, which com, uh, com, uh, comprises a coalition of low-rent tenants, low-wage workers, small property owners, and small business operators, led by a loose form, uh, formation of grassroots organizations they have conducted rent strikes and sued landlords for harassment. They have joined together to mobilize against BIT 
They have opposed pro-development candidates and in support of anti-development alternative candidates. Members of this community uh, fear gentrification and demanded participation in the drafting of rezoning plan to protect themselves by taking advantage of a legal provision in the city's charter, which is 197C provision. Community Board 3, under pressure, supported this initiative and, uh, and funded the Chinatown Working Group. At least 60 organizations participated. I, I know I'm, my time is up. I'm going to just one more minute. After seven years of negotiation, long debates, drawn uh, and compromises, uh, a proposed special Chinatown Low East Side Zoning District as was the result. This plan protects the core of the community with restriction on new high-rises construction. It does not forbid development, but require careful consultation with the community. The plan also includes provisions that will protect members of low east side community from unchecked developments. However, Mayor de Blasio administration rejected it without even uh, giving much discussion. Residents of Chinatown low east side were giving a slap in the face. Since then, though, there has been a number of community meetings attended by hundreds of low east side multiracial uh, residents. Half a dozen demonstrations, uh, some participated by nearly a thousand uh, young, old residents in front of the City Hall and Gracie Mansion. So, Chinatown has distinguished itself for being one of the few communities that stood up under the attack of gentrification. Who, did, who would ever have thought, about, thought of so much about that us being apolitical and passive? So I'm quite glad. I'm very glad that so many of you are here tonight. And that shows we do care. And this community is not going to disappear without a fight. <clears throat> So let us stand together, making sure that Chinatown is not for sale. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Um, can everyone hear me? Hi. Um, hi, I'm Liz Moy. I'm an artist and a native New Yorker from Chinatown. Um, Fifth generation. I'm four generations deep in Chinatown. Um, and my parents, uh, who still live on the block that they grew up on, um, participated in basement workshop, um, helping to coordinate field day in Columbus Park, and who also helped with volunteer childcare. Um, so I'm gonna be talking about the map that you see either in the middle of your pamphlet or on the projected wall here. Um, so in 2012, there was a show called Black Foliage, which was exhibited inside the Chinatown Arcade, which some people know as the alleyway between Bowery and Elizabeth. Um, the show ended up being very problematic for the other businesses in that alleyway um, because it spilled out and was creating a lot of distraction for the people that commute through there and who work there. Um, in all honesty, it seemed like 
all the other openings that I had been to as an art student um, pursuing my BFA. And I rationalized to myself that it was just a pop-up and it wouldn't last, um, except for the fact that right after that, a whole wave of galleries entered Chinatown um, to join the few that were already there. Um, so if you look at the map, there's over 100 here. Um, and I think as an artist, sometimes we rationalize our place in the world or in the community that we're in because we're trying to participate in activities that are respective to our financial means um, and our social connections. But basically, in doing that, we sometimes have these gaps of knowledge about the other people we're affecting. Um, so this show that's inside the Chinatown Arcade, um, I'm pretty sure that it was just younger artists who were trying to establish some more supportive structures for other young artists by being able to show in spaces that they normally don't have access to. Um, but it was extremely disruptive to the community that was already there. Um, so I'm gonna be speaking from this perspective as an artist and someone that lives in the community because I still live on the street that my family grew up on. Um, so with over 100 galleries in Chinatown, we have a range of them. We have artist-run spaces, we have um, white box galleries, we have galleries that are illegally run out of apartments, and altogether they create an intense uh, pressure for long-term tenants because they're increasing rent burden, either inadvertently or knowingly. Um, so basically ways in which they do that, um, I mean traditionally exhibition spaces use their space sparingly, um, and that's towards the artwork, but um, compared to the cramped living conditions that a lot of tenants face, it's kind of a slap in the face. Um, and then sometimes when they're in illegally using residential space as commercial space, they are allowing the landlord to see that their space can be used in other ways. And in that case, they decide, oh, let me start to pressure my rent-stabilized tenants, and once I evict them, I'll have more tenants like this, people who want to run galleries, people who have more money to give. Um, people who are willing to pay market rate because it's still affordable to them. Um, so we have this huge distinction between the long-term tenants and the people that are willing to displace them or unknowingly displace them. Um, so, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so when people get displaced from Chinatown, um, it's very different from when artists get displaced. Artists sometimes are looking for cheaper studios. Some galleries get displaced from Chelsea or other low-income neighborhoods that they set up in. But ultimately, they get to decide where they belong because it's just a matter of money, right? It's, it's about being able to pay the rent, hopefully getting a longer lease, um, and being able to set up your business operation. But when long-term tenants get displaced, they're being cut off from so many resources that make up their lives, which include cultural and social resources like food and language, which really make it important for them to stay in Chinatowns. And the other Chinatowns that New York City has to offer um, are becoming also increasingly expensive. Sunset Park, Flushing, Elmhurst, and other Chinatowns in the city are no longer options for them. So when we think about displacing these people, they have nowhere to go. Um, I think it's really important to consider that when you try to frame your own displacement, sometimes you're just like, oh, I, have, I can pay this rent. Um, it's cheap and it feels like the social offerings are here. But sometimes when we have 
all these galleries are in place, the people that they invite to the neighborhood are people that are routinely engaging in behavior that's detrimental to the community. They are people who use Airbnb, they're people who encourage more rampant nightlife, and basically um, that's hurtful to tenants. So um, I just think that we need to be conscious of that. Sometimes people are really defensive because they feel like they're also poor, like they also don't have the resources to do what they want, but there's a lot of people who have more at stake than that. Um, if you passed the kitchen area on your way in, there were some photos taken by one of the members of Chinatown Tenants Union named David Tang, and they were conditions from the apartment that he was in from 90 Elizabeth Street. Um, he and other members of his building had to sue their landlord because of the deplorable conditions that there were. Um, this includes people having their toilets moved to their living room, um, not having running water or heat for months on end, and a, long t uh, a lot of the times people have to collectively form um, building associations in order to sue their landlord successfully. Um, okay, so I think that's it. Um, thank you. All right, um, good evening. Um, my name is Juan Puentes, and I'm the founder of White Box, a small independent nonprofit art space. And I have a ton of guilt after listening to these colleagues here to my left. I feel like getting up and getting the hell out of here, and good luck in moving back to Spain. I came here 43 years ago, and before I went into the art um, academies, etc., cetera, um, I was a social worker for a couple of years in the inner city of New York, in Rochester, New York. And then I work in factories as well, union and non-union and so forth. Then I went to art school, college, and all these other stupid things we do. And um, so I know Chinatown, Lower East Side, and East Village from inception. I've been there for longer than most of you have been alive. And I keep track of it. And God Almighty, I say, the day um, I created, by mistake, White Box in Chelsea um, 18 years ago, there were seven galleries, eight, uh, the uh, foundation, the kitchen. And we did um, very quickly adjust to the human process, being a nonprofit art space, you know, speculator in the market, etc. yet surrounded by some mega galleries from um, Paula Cooper, you know, all these people from um, the South, uh, Soho. And right away, I got Tim Rollins and KOS to do projects with the children from the public housing, with the Goldberg um, projects, as they call them. And then we did the women's prison, and nobody knew it was there. Spent a year and a half with going to Belfast back and forth and you know, shoveling people who had uh, been with the, with the killers of Catholics, the Protestants, and it was fabulous. It was about painting, and women were liberated uh, after two years in prison there and so forth. And then came the time when, uh, 10 years later, I just couldn't stand myself coming back from Documenta and the Venice Biennale and saying hello to the same guys to say goodbye the day before in Basel. Oh, God. And there was uh, 400 galleries in Chelsea. The good news about Chelsea is that we did not screw up anybody. It was all warehouses, whorehouses, clubs, and so forth. So I never felt guilty opening up a space around galleries in Chelsea, in West Chelsea. But when it came time, time, time to say, I'm leaving that blue chip um, scenario, it was very difficult not to go to, with all my friends in Brooklyn, where I lived in the early 80s, before I was hip, but it was real. 
and um, then I opted for the Lower East Side, Chinatown. Yeah? And it was a heavy, heavy decision to my heart, because I knew we were going to screw up the inhabitants of Chinatown. The Chinese, the Latino, and so forth, that I had worked as a social worker with. And the only thing I could do as a mea culpa um, was to begin a process of integration within the gentrification. And how did we try to achieve that in small ways? Was by collaborating with Bob Lee, right here from the Asian Arts Center. He got us twice, uh, the 50 states plus Hawaii, to meet at the White Box. Several times, you know, I opened the doors for them. Then we recently collaborated with MOCA, Museum of Chinese in America. It's lovely. Um, I went back to Moscow, to China, etc., and I have a you know love affair with China at large, for historically, etc. And I curated all kinds of people. My Wei Wei, Peli, Xiangyan, putting them together with Latin Americans in Moscow and the Biennial. So, you know, and and all of a sudden China grew on me, and being here was, you know, I said, wow. So what else can we do? So what did we do? Some other things. Um, um, Lately, lately, we're developing a youth program where we will try to integrate a white box, and there's a grant, I think, out there by someone very sympathetic to it, to integrate youth from high schools to come to white box the way we did in Chelsea and begin to um, become interns, collaborate, and so forth. And we also, I'll finish with this, we're trying to uh, curate a show um, where 1980s artists from China that lived in Lower East Side, Chinatown, and the East Village, gave the name to, of East Village in Beijing, will be showing towards the end of the Chinese show at the Guggenheim. So that's a little bit of what I can do. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Margaret Lee. I am an artist who has a studio in Chinatown and also shows with a gallery in Chinatown. I'm a dealer. My gallery is 47 Canal. I first came to Chinatown, um, I want to start with my personal history. I'm a first generation Korean American with a very uh, typical backstory. My parents were green grocers in the Bronx and um, part of the reason I first came to Chinatown when I was looking for a studio was I wanted to be around Asian people. So um, I wanted to be in a community in which I felt uh, that I was reflected within the community. Um, I started my first space called 179 Canal, which was right up the street between Mott and Elizabeth on a second floor space that was artist run. Um, it was very informal and not many people came, <laughs> and I didn't think that it would continue, but a small community had built around that space, and in 2011, my partner Oliver Newton and I decided to open a commercial gallery, and I decided to open a commercial gallery instead of a nonprofit because the community that naturally built around 179 Canal um, was actually, uh, majority Asian 
uh, and uh, that wasn't done on purpose, but I think, again, my personal history is what led the programming, and um, I thought it was important for a commercial gallery to exist that could support Asian, Asian-American artists and their voices, because many times we're left out of the conversation. So we did that thing um, and tried to establish ourselves as people who support outside voices. Um, and now we're, so we moved from 179 Canal Street to 47 Canal Street, which is how we got our gallery name. And we moved from 47 Canal Street to 291 Grand Street, but we kept our name. And I'll keep it short, because I'd rather do a Q&A. Okay. Yeah. Hello. So my name is Betty Yu, um, and I'm with the Chinatown Art Brigade, um, and one of the organizers uh, of tonight's event. Thank you so much for being here. Um, you guys are here, so it means, as Peter Kwong said, that you care, right? That you care about what happens to the future of this community. And thank you for, for being here. Um, it's a packed room. I did not think that th this would be, but I'm really, really, um, it's amazing to see this outpouring of uh, this, this crowd here. Um, really briefly, um, I'm a child of garment worker, immigrant parents, grew up in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, spent my whole entire life going between Sunset Park, Brooklyn, and Manhattan's Chinatown. You know, Sunset Park, Brooklyn is, as you guys know, the third Chinatown to Flushing. Um, and my whole entire life, my, my parents worked um, in garment shops in Chinatown, which, um, as Peter Kwong ha has said, after 9-11, the garment industry is completely gone, right? Um, and the developers really came in, did a bunch of land grabs, and the landscape of Chinatown has changed forever since 9-11. Um, but I do want uh, to challenge us, as, as I, I feel like I'm sort of closing out the panel, and then we sort of will open it up to respondents and to all of you to really have a conversation um, is that you know you know why are we sitting here what 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 is it that we we want you guys to do once you walk out of this room right um, and this is it's a very urgent issue um, as everyone as Liz and Professor Kwong spoke to Chinatown is really under attack right and over a hundred galleries have moved in to this community more of them in the last three to four years. Um, and you might ask, well, galleries alone are not the problem. Absolutely, right? We understand the ecosystem, the larger sort of system of gentrification of, of, of obviously landlords, Chinese landlords, um, the developers, the banks, um, and they're the ones, right, who are also part of these, the agents of gentrification, right, that we are sort of exposing and that we're talking about. But us as artists, me as an artist, as someone who's a native New Yorker, um, and other folks who are in Chinatown Art Brigade, and other folks who we're working with, um, we work very cl in close collaboration with uh, CAV, Chinatown Tenants Union, which is a group in Chinatown that has been organizing for around 10 years and around tenant protections against tenant harassment and illegal evictions. And so for us, many of us who are cultural workers or artists or residents or tenants, we're seeing that the community is, in, is completely being uprooted, right? The culture um, not, and then obviously the actual uprooting of, of people, people being displaced, right? Because now the shops are gone and the restaurants are gone and they're being replaced with higher end bars and cafes and eateries and hotels and condos and galleries. And I feel that 
it, statistics show, right, the National Endowment of the Arts did a national report recently that shows that galleries coming into an urban, quote unquote, blighted or up and coming neighborhood, that that is an automatic visual signifier of gentrification. That pure fact of creative capitalism is absolutely the key thing there, here. So you may say, Okay, 100 galleries later, right? And this is where we're at. But it's important to understand why I think that what you're seeing happening in Boyle Heights, in the Bronx, in Seattle, and throughout this country, where galleries and artists who are coming in are not self-conscious of what's happening. They have to understand, right, what is, ha A, right, what, what it, we, we get, right, I mean, we've talked to a lot of folks, even probably in this room, where they've said, well, you know, I've been priced out of Chelsea, I've been priced out of Dumbo, I've been priced out of Long Island City, where else can I go? Chinatown's more affordable at this point. That's fine, right? We're not saying that you shouldn't, you shouldn't necessarily have a, a gallery, right? But think about who you've displaced and think about what was there beforehand. I mean, just to give you a really quick snapshot um, from um, a Chinatown working group uh, plan, which is, which is a community-led plan where a lot of groups in this room have created um, the last eight years together, uh, the sort of median income for, uh, for a family of four is about thirty-five dollars to $37,000, which means rent needs to be about $900 for it to be affordable. Rent is now up to $9,000 residential up to $24,000. There, there, there are galleries paying up to $24,000, $30,000 a month right, for gallery uh, storefront space. So think about that, right, when you're looking at the, the, the wage, I mean, the, the income disparity, right, of low-income tenants really being pushed out at, a, at an all-time rate. And, the, you know, the last thing I just really want to say is that we don't, we don't see ourselves in a bubble, right? In New York City, five, 15 neighborhoods are being rezoned, which is what de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio, has, um, has put forth. Chinatown is not on that agenda, yet folks have been organizing for a very long time. We're the only city, the only neighborhood that has a community-led plan. And so I think that as folks who are newcomers, as folks that are, are coming in as gallerists or artists or just new residents, that we ask you to really stand with people here in Chinatown, long-term residents. Like, what are you gonna do? I think what we're saying is that no longer can you just exist Right? You can't just exist and be in your space and be in an isolated box, but you, it's time to take a stand, right? Because folks are getting kicked out and removed from their homes very violently, right? So it's not just psychological, right? But it's violently, right? Physically being uprooted. And they can't afford Sunset Park. They can't afford fluctuating any, anymore. And so we really need to think about, about that within that context. But again, we understand it's within the larger system of gentrification, the systems of gentrification. But from our vantage point, what we're seeing, we're in a different place, of course, than the Bronx or Boyle Heights, where a few galleries are just moving in. And they're saying, you know, evicting them, right, saying you can't be here, right? We're in a different place, so what do we do? And so I want to close by just, if you guys have a pamphlet, um, sorry, I think there was a little bit of a mistake, so on your, on your chair there might be a pamphlet and you flip it over, it might be in Chinese or Spanish or English, if it's not your language so that you can understand, you can raise your hand and someone will bring you the right one. Um, but it's also up here on the, uh, on the projector here. And um, we're sort of just going to read it to get really quick together and then um, I'll pass it to, to, to Mia. So, gentrification is a crisis and frontline communities are fighting back. From Boyle Heights in Los Angeles to Bushwick, the Bronx and Chinatown in New York. 
Can artists and galleries resist becoming weapons of mass displacement? Can they become allies, I'm sorry, allies of the grassroots struggle against gentrification? Yes, they can. A first step in expressing your solidarity is to take the pledge of resistance to, to the, the fine art of gentrification. And I'm just gonna um, read the sort of uh, first two and then sort of the last two of these bullets here, and it's in front of you. So the first one says, get to know my neighbors, learn about the history and contemporary situation of the place I am occupying. Find out which people I have displaced with my gallery, studio, cafe, or bar. Come out to community meetings, learn what is going on. Two, support the businesses that are essential to low and middle income people in my neighborhood. All right, and the last uh, two I'll read is, call out and inform I'm sorry, call out and inform on developers who are using Trojan horse tactics, pop-up shops, galleries, cafes, and trendy retail kiosks to stimulate real estate interests in neighborhoods. Agree not to rent or buy any unit that is owned by a publicly known slumlord. Support tenants who are fighting against foreclosures, forced evictions, buyouts, and price outs. Yes. And I, think, and I think the last one is really important because shout out to all the coalitions in the room, but the organizations in this space, CAB, you know, ten, um, Chinatown Tenants Union, there are folks from the coalition to protect Chinatown and Lower East Side, from Chinese staff and workers and NMAS and a bunch of other folks who are in the neighborhood from the Lower East Side that might be here. Um, this, is the, this is the one that really is substantive. This is policy change that can protect our neighborhood, right? So that's number seven. Support ongoing efforts to get the city council and the mayor, city council meaning Margaret Chin and our community board council member, right? Margaret Chin and the mayor, Mayor de Blasio, to endorse and pass the community-led Chinatown Working Group's rezoning plan that reflects the needs of Chinatown's residents, protects current and future affordable housing, and preserves the neighborhood and discourages development and displacement. Thank you, Betty, Peter, Liz, Juan, Margaret. Uh, I'm going to hand the mic to Amin. Um, so I'm going to facilitate this, and it's going to be a tight facilitation because we want to get a lot of voices in the room. We have some respondents to begin with. Respondents, we have five respondents. Uh, you have three minutes, so please stick your, to your time. And uh, we'll begin uh, when I call the name, introduce yourself, and uh, you have your three minutes. First, Bob Lee. You want a microphone? It's okay. I got you. Do I just sit here? Stand up. Stand up. Okay. Wow, I'm uh, Bob Lee. I'm with the Asian American Art Center. We established ourselves as a stand space and gallery space in 74 out of basement workshop. We've been exhibiting artists for 30 years since uh, 83. Um, so uh, we are very concerned with the history, the, the visual uh, contributions of Asian American artists in the United States. You can see our website, which documents 
um, 10% of the uh, artists that we've exhibited, um, some of the best artists who are showing how Asian American culture is entering the United States. Um, uh, one, you shouldn't be guilty. I you, like you are, <laughs> and, and certainly Margaret, don't you choose, don't you say that. These are Asian, these are upstanding galleries. These, this is uh, the next generation of Asian American effort to integrate themselves into the United States to upgrade Chinatown culture to the next stage. Chinatown has been isolated culturally and uh, for, for decades. And our effort to bring contemporary culture into our community is something that I'm very familiar with. So um, I think it's important that we see that the goal of fighting gentrification has to be done with a sort of smarts and that we need to integrate our community into the way the damn city functions. I don't see how I can change how the city functions, how the economy can change how the economy works. There are people working on that. I'm interested in how they're working on that. You know, gift economy stuff. And, but that's a big deal. We're in Chinatown. And so we need to integrate into how the culture of the city operates, and then we can bring a new group of people into the community. We also need to have um, uh, proposals of how we can protect uh, immigrant communities who need housing and protect our businesses. We need to negotiate with the city uh, to do that. And I think there's, there's ways that we can do that. From my point of view, for the last six, seven years, sitting on the uh, Chinatown Working Group Committee uh, and seeing how our proposal was handled, but also seeing that um, the new museum has been a player in this and we've been trying to do something with them for the last six years. And so I, I don't think that, um, I don't think targeting galleries is the way to go. I think we need to, to figure out how to work with the new museum, how to get them to lead us and to negotiate with the mayor and take a different kind of idea as to how to grow our community culturally, economically, and politically. Thank you. Um, we have uh, in the audience four representatives of Triple Canopy. Uh, if one person can, uh, can be a respondent. In the back. Hi, thank you. Um, thank you, everyone, uh, for speaking. Um, I'll be very brief. Uh, my name is Molly Kleiman. I'm one of four members of Triple Canopy here today. Um, do you want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Um, I'm Emily. I'm a senior editor at Triple Canopy. Hey, Peter Russo, director. Momo Ishigura, assistant director. And um, we were invited here as respondents, and um, we are a nonprofit uh, arts organization and a magazine. Uh, we've been around for eight years and just moved to a third floor um, office space and venue on Canal Street two months ago. 
and uh, we've been having internal conversations about the ramifications of our move, about the politics surrounding you know, our existence here in Chinatown and how we can be um, active allies and um, supporters of the, the community members and residents who are, and book business and owners who are longstanding um, uh, central uh, features of the, of the community and um, the neighborhood. And uh, we just wanted to say that we're here and we're actively listening and we'd like to join together with residents, business owners, other arts organizations, artists and community members and um, develop together substantive outreach um, between our communities and for communities outside of Chinatown as well. Um, we're also particularly interested to learn more about uh, what different ways our peer organizations have engaged with local community members over past years and um, we hope the conversation will continue beyond tonight and beyond the 29th, which continues this open conversation and beyond December when Decolonize This Place leaves uh, artist space books and talks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, as respondent, the third respondent, we have Shelley Silver in the audience. Hi, so uh, I'm Shelley Silver. I'm an artist and educator, and I've um, been living in Chinatown since 1986 in the same building as Basement Workshop. So it's an amazing building with an amazing history. When I came to Chinatown, I didn't feel like a gentrifier. Now, 25 some odd years later, I do. Um, and even after making two films about Chinatown. Um, guess what I wanted to talk about very briefly is this issue of conflict of interest. Because I think that what we do have here is a conflict. We have the residents who want to stay in the neighborhood, a lot of which they were born into, um, uh, raise their children in, uh, and that are being pushed out. We have galleries um, who are fairly recent, um, entries into the neighborhood who I think in a lot of ways it's in their best interest to have the neighborhood change as quickly as possible. You know, as we read from Artnet and all the magazines that it's the hip new neighborhood, that you have a concentration of galleries, restaurants, places to go. And so on the one hand, it seems to be within galleries' best interest to flip the neighborhood. On the other hand, a lot of the galleries that are moving down here are young, scrappy, and are political. Then on the third hand are the artists that show in the galleries, a lot of whom are very happy to be in the young, hip neighborhood with great restaurants, and then some of whom are conflicted also. And this is a conundrum I don't know how to solve, but I do know from my history of a human being on this earth that the gallery director who said that the gentrification was inevitable was wrong. And that was within her self-interest to say that. So um, for the time being, I think that Betty's um, resolve, the, the signing on to helping the struggle because people are being kicked out. I see from my windows on Catherine Street whole buildings going down. And once the built tenants get kicked out, the stores can't maintain, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just this domino effect, but it is not inevitable. And then with zoning, uh, that's like another huge issue. 
The other thing is that all the galleries in this room know that they will get kicked out and they will be replaced by a completely boring neighborhood with big box stores. So that is the other turn of the screw that usually happens. Um, anyway, thank you. Hello. Um, the fourth respondent is Stephen Squibb. Uh, are you in the audience? Stephen Squibb. From EFLUX. Okay. Um, we'll pass on to Diane Wong. Hi everyone, my name is Diane Wong and I'm a volunteer with CAV, Organizing Asian Communities. I'm just going to read off my phone. <laughs> All right, so CAV, uh, who's familiar with the work that CAV does? Awesome. So uh, CAV builds the leadership and capacity of low-income um, Asian immigrants in New York City and also in Queens. Um, I work mostly with CAV's Chinatown Tenants Union, CTU. Um, who develops mostly Chinatown residents who are threatened by gentrification and turns them into leaders who wage campaigns to remain in their homes and protect affordable housing. So basically, um, I work with a team of tenant organizers and leaders, some of whom are actually in this room today, so shout out to you, um, who we go basically door knocking every Monday and Thursday night. Um, we go around Chinatown to see which buildings are suffering from landlord harassment, eviction issues to ensure that non-English speaking tenants know their rights. So far we've been successful in organizing tenants from several, several buildings to protect against um, their predatory landlords and to get rent control, the rent guidelines board to approve a rent freeze um, this and last year. So these buildings include 90 Elizabeth Street, 22 Spring Street, 82 Canal Street, 135 Eldred Street, 247 Broom Street. Um, I've seen the first-hand effects of uh, for uh, primary and secondary displacement. I've seen the physical and mental health effects that displacement has on working class immigrant families, especially those who are single mothers, who are undocumented and who are limited English proficient. But this doesn't mean that there isn't resistance and this doesn't mean that tenants aren't, aren't fighting back. I want us to really challenge the dominant narrative that people are just pushed out of their homes without a fight because that's just not true. Um, so I really want us to challenge that narrative tonight and to know that gentrification isn't a natural or a neutral process, right? And as Professor Kwong, and as all of the tenants who are taking their landlords to court, and, to, and um, as the Chinatown Working Plan shows, um, we are fighting back and we're here to stay. Thank you. Um, so just a reminder, I'm gonna keep a tight facilitation. Um, community agreements, be respectful, use the I, be brief. I'm gonna take um, comments or questions in groups of threes. I'm gonna start from the back. Um, and please feel free, this is a conversation, it's not situated that way, but there's a lot of people and that's why. So, the more voices, the better. Hi, my name is Helena, and I want to thank you guys for organizing this 
really important. Um, a little louder. I want to thank everyone, you guys, for organizing this wonderful, important uh, conversation. Um, I am busy. Can you please stand up? Sure. To, uh, I'm, uh, I'm busy looking for a space uh, to open in Chinatown myself. And I um, am very concerned about these issues. And I also just want to share the experience I'm having of walking into countless empty spaces and you know abandoned spaces that I've seen empty for years now. I also grew up in New York City. And um, want to know who are the power brokers and these landlords behind all of this empty storefronts who are just waiting it out and, and you know insist on extremely high rents while things are just sitting empty. Thank you. I want to just encourage the panelists to take notes, so just keep mindful, and we'll come back to you. Um, there were other hands, please, from the back. Hi, my name is Natalie. Please stand up, please, if you can. My name is Natalie, and I just have a quick question concerning just the rough statistics for rent-stabilized and rent-control buildings in the area, just to get a rough lay of the land and understand, you know, how, you know, what kind of protections exist for those who are in place. Thank you. One more question. Okay. Uh, over here, sir. Let's start by, yes. Hi, my name is Corky Lee, and one of the things that a lot of people have overlooked is the establishment of the Chinatown Business Improvement District. As a result of this, the creation of the bid, a lot of landlords have had to pay an additional $5,000 in additional taxes, and that's for a, a corner piece of property. Now, when the Italians didn't want to be part of the bid, they were able to opt out, but they couldn't do that for a lot of the Chinese uh, landlords here. So I think one of the things that should be done is the uh, dismantling of the Chinatown bid. But legally, it is very difficult. It has to be dissolved from within. But they don't allow members of their board to be actual property owners, the mom and pop property owners, okay? Because they're represented by uh, real estate interests that are connected to Margaret Chin. And Margaret Chin is one of the people that helped create the Chinatown bid. Thank you. Um, I'm going to turn to the panel to answer. Who would like to take the first go? Uh, there's several questions being asked. First question was that there are so many empty spaces. Well, uh, first of all, that's not true. Uh, some streets are like that, and I think Orchard Street is one of those places. Previously, was Jewish neighborhoods have a lot thriving uh, shops, and uh, it's been declined, and so some of the sh uh, shops are empty. Uh, now, when landlords holding onto some of these places, they want to make it look attractive. Uh, and one of the things they do is lease to uh, art galleries. They have no intention of long leases, but rather 
having these locations giving impression this place is up and up. So uh, I, I think it's not a question about artists being guilty or whatever, it's basically intention of, uh, of the landlords who are really responding to the general climate of the city policy, uh, trying to upgrade in many of the neighborhoods. So that's the first question. The second question has to do with uh, uh, um, uh, Corky, Corky's uh, point about bid. Uh, let me just explain a little bit about bid. Uh, it's one of the most undemocratic process. Uh, it's what is called public and private partnership. What does that mean? That means if 51% of a particular area, the landlords of that area agree to become a bid, it will become a bid, right? Now, uh, clearly landlords, most landlords would say, hey, great, having a bid, upgrading value, I'm gonna have to make more income. But the point is the burden is gonna be on the tenants as well as the shop owners. So basically, you and I pay taxes, right? We pay sanitation, and yet there is this bid coming around and say, hey, we want to charge you more for doing the shit that the city have not done. <laughs> so, so, so that's one thing. The second thing is bid is a private entity. It has a capacity of tax the, com uh, the, the, the community to do all kinds of things. Let's say, you know, this place looks shitty. Let's clean it up. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, you know, Columbus Park has a beautiful band thing. Let's um, make it into, lease it to some restaurant. So all these things are done without the consent of the community, without the consent of people actually paying for that, right? So that's why, as I mentioned earlier, there was a huge opposition to it. Uh, even, even though, as I mentioned, it's really in the interest of the landlords, 550 landlords in the, this community opposed to it. So it is true, that's something that we really have to oppose to it now. But this is, however, a baby for the, for the, for the city. Uh, in final analysis, basically, you need to look at what is at stake. The city is interested is to increase its tax base. It's increased to solve its own problems. And so therefore, increased taxes, welcoming rich people to replace the working class poor, has been the history of the city since the default 1970s, right? 1970s, as you, you probably know, the city went default. And the interpretation is what? Basically, we have too many poor people, too many welfare recipients, we're paying too much social welfare services, and uh, these people are not even paying taxes. So, the logical solution is let's switch, right? Finding rich people, rich business, finance, and all these things. So, so we, we need to understand this is not a problem of currently. It has been going on for 30 years. This is a logical progress assessed by stat. BIT is one of the worst undemocratic uh, uh, institutions I know. Many of the things is exactly taking the, the, the power away from the people who should be making the decision. Thank you. Can, yeah. And I just wanted to address the question around rent stabilize, 
stabilizing apartments. For, according to a report that the Chinatown Working Group did um, about two years ago, um, and I, I want to encourage everyone in the back of the pamphlet, we have set up a resources page um, of films and books and articles. Um, Peter Kwong's article that he has written with Sam Stein, which is really great about gentrification. There's a new book by Tom Ngati that's out about zoning and race. Um, tons of resources. I'm sure there's a lot of resources among the audience here today, so I encourage folks to look at that. But um, according to the, uh, the, the Chinatown Working Group plan, about 85% of Chinatown um, are still renters. Um, and a good majority of them are actually rent stabilized, but that is vanishing very, very, very rapidly. And as we know, a lot of uh, the tenants um, um, who are members of Chinatown Art Brigade and of CAV are, are getting, uh, getting displaced. They're getting violently kicked out, right? Like not being provided you know, hot water and, and heat and things like that, that that Liz described. And so that's, that's, that's real, and that has probably diminished even in the last uh, couple of years, but 85% of sort of Chinatown residents were renters, and most of them were um, rent, living in rent-stabilized apartments. I want to just echo what Prof Professor Kwong said, which is that all, what you think is empty, they're not empty. Those are not empty. Um, they're not empty, right? They're... they're uh, there, there, there. Some real estate developer is sitting on it, right? Um, and I want to just say, use a personal example really quickly. I'm an artist myself, and in 2012, um, I was asked to show something at no longer empty. No longer empty. Some of you may know is um, is a. Uh, I don't. I don't know how you describe them, but I think that they work. You know, um, they. It's insidious, but they work with real estate developers, right? And often take up empty lots or empty spaces that they say are, are vacant, and then they bring a pop-up gallery into the space. Um, and I have to say, and I'm one of those people who very, very, very naively took part in that. Um, and I think that as an artist, speaking to other artists and galleries, that you can resist, right? For me, what I had to do was by then I signed the contract and it was on its way, and what I did was I tried to use the space and that that exhibit to talk about gentrification and housing. Because what we were told was that that building was, um, it, that, that, that the, the folks, it was a beauty salon owned by Chinese folks, and that they just like readily, I mean on their own um, um, decided to, to leave, right? Because they wanted to move to another place. But it turns out they were evicted, turns out the rents went up, we were not told the truth. And I think these are things that we have to do, right? As gallerists who are opening up galleries, coffee shops, bars, uh, high-end hipster eateries, these kind of things. We need to know what the situation is, right? Why is this place vacant, right? And most of the time, these big five or six developers and real estate agencies are not going to tell you the truth, right? And there are ways to find that out, which we have resources on our website where you can find out if the, if that spot was uh, a forced eviction, are you, are you going to occupy that, right? And, that, and that's a, a drawing a line in the sand of, of what stance are you going to take. But I just want to say that um, the, you know, those spaces aren't empty. Um, they're waiting for the right price point, right? Which up, upwards of $25,000 a month for a small gallery space on Bowery. It's crazy. It's crazy. Who, what working person working business, a working person who's serving working people um, can afford that. Um, and so I just wanted to you know, make that, that, that point. Um, can I just add on to that really quickly? Really quickly. Um, so some of the major groups that are dealing with this are Corcoran Group, um, Douglas Elliman, who obviously are taking over spaces all over the city, um, but also on the Chinese end, Kinyu Realty. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Earl Bateman is currently looking for three galleries side by side on Grand Street. If you've passed it, there's three holdout spaces, ground floor spaces that are 
um, just being left there empty, and there's a huge sign um, above them that's saying, we only want galleries. Mm -hmm. um, so just do your research and the broker that you're working with, and if they have a history of like forced evictions and displacement, you should try to look for another independent broker. Thank you. We're really encouraged by the questions yeah. that are, are coming from the audience, um, from people who want to know more about the neighborhood. Um, I just want to actually, uh, it's come to my attention that there is a flyer being circulated about a demonstration on the 26th, and um, it's uh, something that we don't know anything about, uh, but we were wondering if there's somebody from the group who could stand up and just explain what it is. Please be brief. Uh, hi, my name is Lewis. I'm from a community organization on the Low East Side called Enmas. Um, we've been working with CAV and other groups on the Chinatown Working Group Plan. Um, it's great to see so many people here, and I want to thank the people who organized this for bringing light to what's happening in Chinatown, but also saying that the same thing is happening on the Low East Side. Uh, we have members who are artists who are struggling to stay um, and practice their craft. Um, at the same time, they're getting displaced by art galleries there too. Uh, so the protest is on Wednesday at 3.30 at City Hall on the Broadway side. Um, we're protesting Mayor de Blasio's uh, racist housing plan and racist development policies that put um, working class communities, communities of color at the back of the bus. Um, instead of protecting us, we're getting dis displaced. So we need to come together and fight that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, we're going to take another round of questions, starting from the back. Harry. Hi. Uh, I asked this question uh, in another talk, and I'm trying. I'm an artist, and I'm trying to figure out ways that I can show my work without gentrifying and without, you know, hurting others. It's great. There's amazing galleries here. So um, I wonder if anybody has any suggestions or thoughts about it. How do we show without gentrifying neighborhoods? Thank you. Um, I know there's one question. Anyone else over here? In the back, all the way in the back. This is maybe a question I should pose next week. But Just a little louder, sorry. This is a question maybe I should pose next week after more research, but I'm curious about um, the Jewish presence in Chinatown prior to Chinatown being Chinatown. Um, I understand that it wasn't the same sort of process that led to this exodus of sorts, but um, it's something that, that I'm very curious about. Thank you. Um, just because I know some people are leaving, just an announcement to make sure that people understand. When people are saying there's going to be a follow-up meeting, there's different groups working here with Chinatown Art Brigade that is actually directed at artists and not only galleries. That meeting is happening on the 29th. Look at the website if you're leaving early. And please sign um, it. There's a sign-up sheet going around. Can you please put your name and email? Right. Um, if someone has it and it's stopped circulating, please make sure it gets circulated. Thank you. Um, there was one hand over here. Oh. It was probably mine. Okay. It was probably my hand. Um, I kind of like blanked out because I've been drinking a little bit. But 
Um, one of my questions was about, uh, from what I heard from the galleries on the panel, was this, uh, oh, um, so we're going to show some Beijing-based artists in terms of like how are you contributing to the community and things like that. Um, my question was, um, when it comes to like galleries in the presence of Chinatown, like, does it seem like this like a uh, tit for tat thing where you can like you know show like Asian American artists are on the come up and then sort of like simultaneously like knowingly displace people and then like it's like fine like I'm just kind of curious like where the balance is in terms of like you know what you had mentioned earlier about the new museum and how they refuse to you know work with you guys after six years or something like that I'm just I, I actually learned about this event from my friend here, and like I did, I heard that maybe a lot of the reason why a lot of people came out was because of art space or something. I don't even look at that site, but it's just very interesting to me, just like the sort of like uh, cross section of like all these kinds of like small communities, like and big communities coming together, and like how those ideas translate in terms of like, okay, well I'm doing this, so like it's cool, right? I mean, I'm just. I'm just curious as to like how people are kind of quantifying those things. Thank you. So there's three questions, if we can take it now. Um, let's, I guess I'll take one of the gallery questions. Okay, and let's also try to, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, I don't consider it tit for tat as an Asian American. Um, I don't think that I have to play that game. Um, I'm trying to work with artists who I think reflect the times in which we live in, and I'm also sp trying to support artists whose voices have been um, ignored for a really long time. Uh, again, I've always loved Chinatown because I love being in a place where I don't feel so much like an outsider, even though I'm not Chinese. Um, I know that sort of tokenism does happen in Chinatown, um, but that's just a marketing strategy that a lot of people do. That's one strategy that galleries use to tap into rich new Chinese money, uh, which I don't really believe in either. So um, I think it's really important for us to remember the power of art. Um, as a very working class immigrant, I was desperate for culture and um, what I got from museums was a very whitewashed education and I didn't see myself reflected in the art. So when I decided to start becoming an artist and to run a space, um, I made that decision to not just be an artist, but that I wanted to create a community in which other voices could be heard and supported, which within a larger commercial world that often um, ignores the voices of artists of color and tokenism is often used and um, although I don't enjoy working within the marketplace, I think it's very important to place the work of artists who are often thrown to the margins in the same sphere as other artists, say, at Art Basel. So um, I would hope that because galleries are free and open to the public, unlike museums, I would hope that people from the community could walk into my gallery and see themselves reflected within the art. And this is sort of why I run a gallery, the doors open. I mean, we're not a ground floor space and I've never wanted to be a ground floor space. 
because I didn't want to change the street life of the community in which I was moving into. Um, it's also cheaper. Um, and you know, I've always had conflicted issues with that because people kind of had to, it wasn't so easy for people to just accidentally come and see the work, but um, it is always open to the public. And I sometimes wondered why more um, community groups actually didn't reach out to me since so much of my program was uh, Asian American. Yep. Um, I'll take that issue a little bit. I'm pretty much with Bob Lee. Art can be a weapon, art can be a tool. You can be con constructive or destructive, yeah? Um, my choice, not being a gallerist, but running a nonprofit art space, is to collaborate. Uh, one of the ways um, we have with Bob in, in common is that when we give some kind of uh, real possession, meaning, owner, ownership of um, pride, of um, having had all these artists, he began in 74, I worked here in 73, so I'm very aware of all your great work, Bob. And I follow up a little bit on, on that, in as much as I can. And by bringing um, Chinese artists of certain repute that they lived and they were influenced in the 80s and the 70s, some of them in the Chinatown, Lower East Side, and East Village, it was all one single um, space, really, in those days, um, falling apart, uh, like broken teeth. Um, it, 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 it creates one condition, which is they feel they're proud, they're, they belong, uh, they influence the new generations, the kids when they come around, um, they feel proud and it's part of their heritage, their living within you know, the jungle of New York. And as Bob says, it's not going to change. Jim Jarmusch said something very funny. Do I miss at four in the morning a guy walking downtown in a camel? Say so yes, I do. But New York is about change. We'll see more of it. Um, I'd like to also thank very much Kyle Goen, because um, the, the work they're doing decolonizing this place is just fabulous, giving us this, this forum. Thank you. I, I just I, wanted to uh, respond uh, briefly to the question about uh, the Jewish presence. Um, I think that the, uh, the Art Brigade, at any rate, shares the same um, goals as other groups like the Museum of Chinese in America and the Asian Art Center in the, seeing the need to preserve the history of the community. And that includes the history of all of the immigrant groups that have uh, settled here on the Lower East Side. I mean, we understand that the Lower East Side has been this port of entry for immigrants since the country began. Um, and the Jewish presence is, of course, part of that. Uh, one of the things that we did in the first panel, uh, which was uh, about, I guess, a quarter of the size of the audience here, was to establish uh, the boundaries of Chinatown. And um, I think it was surprising to some people that when you talk about Chinatown, you're not just talking about the six or seven blocks around Mata Street. But in fact, in, in the 10 or 20 years um, uh, currently, uh, the boundaries have actually expanded uh, so rapidly that it is even hard to um, come to some kind of consensus about where Chinatown begins or ends. And you know, the, we don't really have the census numbers, but I think most people would agree that Chinatown now 
uh, goes as far up as Delancey Street uh, to the north, um, the uh, Two Bridges neighborhoods to the south, Clinton Street to the east, and Broadway to the west. So the map that you're looking at is not the traditional map that most people associate with Chinatown. It's the contemporary, the current mapping of the community. And, um, you know, of course, in looking at this map, you're seeing how Chinatown is overlapping with traditionally Lower East Side neighborhoods, neighborhoods that were once Italian and Jewish. And um, I think there's a lot of confusion, especially on the part of people who move in to these areas as to who actually lives here. But, um, you know, statistics show, and, you know, I, I think that just in terms of, um, I think, uh, just observation, perhaps, um, as you walk through these neighborhoods, that these are predominantly Chinese neighborhoods now. And, uh, you know, you can tell by the signage, you can tell by the public spaces, who, who uses those spaces, who goes to those, the schools in these areas, who, um, uh, utilizes the public services that are, are provided, health, social services. Um, these uh, are now predominantly Chinese um, neighborhoods. So, can, can I just add? Yeah. Can I just add really, really quickly? That and then Liz. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, yes. I mean, I think the the commonality being that this was always a working class immigrant community, right? And of course, before yes, before the Chinese were here, they were. Jewish immigrants and Italian and German, but we I are also, in, in reality, this is the Lenape, right? Like, if you're not Native American, this is really, we're all no, immigrants no, right no, here. No, no, I have to stop this conversation. And I just want to say, yeah. I have to stop this conversation. I think people constantly thinking Chinese are new immigrants, which is not true. Chinese Sorry. came here in 19... Middle of 19th century, one of the earliest immigrant groups in the United States, all right? We came the same time the Irish and German came. Mm -hmm. so, so the point about it is the Jewish community established about the same time we're here. So don't make us to think that somehow we're yeah, latecomers. The reason we're latecomers is because the Chinese Exclusion <laughs> Act in 1882, right? Yeah. So after the Exclusion Act, right, Chinese were not allowed to legally immigrate naturally until 1960s. So people think, oh, you guys are new immigrants. Forget it. We are one of the earliest ones. And so can I just say that also to your underscore... Because of the Chinese Exclusion Act, right, Chinese people who came like my grandfather in the 1930s could not access social services, could not access loans, housing, and all of that stuff. This is why Chinatown exists. They call it an ethnic enclave. They denigrate it, right? But now they want to. Now folks want to come in, right? When you know, and really displace and uproot what we've built, right? What what folks have built. But it's really important to acknowledge that there's been resistance in this community for over a hundred years. I mean, you're talking about the Chinese Hand Laundry Alliance. 
Okay, the Chinese Hand Laundry Alliance is one of the first Chinese labor organizations formed in 1937, a couple of blocks away, and now it's gonna be a hotel, all right? We're talking about the 1980 Silver Palace Restaurant was the first unionized restaurant here in Chinatown, right? By Chinese Staff and Workers Association. Now, the same people who own Right, that who owned that restaurant wanted to disband the union, and now is opening the fanciest high-end French boutique hotel that's going to open up in January. Right, so I think that there is a history of resistance, and it continues. And I think Professor Kwong is right that I think that um, I take it personally offense to um, sort of this perception of, of Chinese folks, right? Just like sort of passively taking it, we're just kind of hanging back. There's been generations of resistors, right? Um, garment workers and hand laundry alliance um, of folks, you know, my own grandfather who was a founder of CHLA. So we have to understand that it's absolutely has been going on for a very long time, this kind of resistance, and, and it continues. So, okay, I'd like to- Thank you, Liz. I'm, I, so this is me just kind of acknowledging that I'm going to, Liz? Thank you. Um, I'd just like to address the first and the third questions, um, getting back to them. Um, this is my personal opinion about the third question. I do not think that showing artists from mainland China absolves people of gentrifying guilt. Um, yes. And not to, say that, not to say that what Margaret was saying isn't important because she's totally right. It's important that people see themselves reflected in work. Um, but I, don't, I think that a lot of the times they're very irrelevant and a lot of gallerists will use it as a, um, as a tool to say, oh look, we are showing Chinese artists, right? So like, it's okay when it obviously they can get away with whatever they, with whatever they want after that. Um, and in terms of the first question, um, I was here at the Liberate Tate event when that question was asked and I told you to come back, so thank you for being here. Um, I think the people in this room are all here, artists, gallerists, gallery workers, who want to find ways to come together to fight gentrification. Um, and it's not the people, um, people here don't want to suppress studio practices or um, try to dictate programming that is going on in galleries, but people need to do their research. So I say um, the only advice I have right now is that like the brokers, you should do your research. There's a lot of galleries that are happy to perpetuate this narrative of Chinatown being a smelly ethnic enclave that's like okay to fetishize, that has dumpling shacks and junk stores and I'm taking these as words from quotes that galleries have given to uh, publications like ID, Paper Mag, and The Observer, where, okay, namely New Release uh, and Kustoff Waxman mm -hmm. have said these things about Chinatown. They've called it a village. They've uh, basically <laughs> reduced it, reduced its character, um, reduced the history of its arts to nothing. Um, and they're coming in as outsiders and being very vocal very quickly about what they think should be here and what they think Chinatown is. So if you're thinking about showing in a gallery that's in Chinatown and you're newly out of school and you want to show your work, I really think you need to do your research about who you want to show with. And it might seem difficult when you just want to take any opportunity that's going to help you advance your career because you want to build your CV. I think you just need to sometimes, if it's in the right place, to say no. Um, I think that's a really hard option to do, but in the long run, mm -hmm. um, it's gonna pay off and people will appreciate the work you're doing to not be active in mm -hmm. displacing people. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna manage expectations right now. I wanna acknowledge that Bob and Peter 
have some comments. I do want to kind of remind ourselves that it's 8.49. The event's gonna finish at nine, so stick around. I'm gonna open it up for a round of the last three questions. I'm acknowledging the person over here. Two other questions, and then we're gonna bring it back over here, okay? So please start over here. Uh, here first, and then you will have the turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Nelson, go ahead. Hi, my name is Nelson, and um, I'm actually the president of 318 Restaurant Workers Union, the union that um, Betty mentioned just before that we helped organize Silver Palace Restaurant and, um, and actually Jingfang Restaurant. It's the only unionized restaurant in Chinatown right now. Um, I, I want to just say that you know this this isn't something mutually exclusive. You know, I mean, um, gallery owners are small business owners. They're part of the community, um, but if they want this community to remain the vibrant community that it is now, that is filled with immigrants and uh, hardworking people, uh, then it needs to, people have to do something, not just simply, you know, uh, in addition to investigate and make sure you're not part of the problem, but actually do something to help protect the community now. And that means actually supporting the Chinatown Working Group plan. That's the first step that people need to take, all right? And you can do this, you can, you can, you can contact Margaret Chin. You can contact Mayor de Blasio. You can tell them, pass the Chinatown Working Group plan now. Okay? You can come and join us on October 26 at the um, protest at City Hall. But this is an important thing that has to happen because we need to start putting the brakes on development, on this runaway development. The Chinatown Working Group plan is important because it's going to restrict height limits. This is how developers make their money. They cannot make their money simply buying the land. They have to go up, okay? This was successful in the East Village. For whatever reason, whether it's racist or something else, they won't do it for Chinatown, okay, and the Lower East Side. And so it's up to all of us, if we care about this community, if we want to prevent it from going the way of so many other communities, you know, we need to pass the Chinatown Working Group Plan now. Thank you. This is a complicated situation. It's not that simple. You know, I've been sitting up? on the Chinatown Working Group for seven years. I know some of the difficulties. And, uh, and I, I just can't sit here and hear people demonize Margaret Chin. I've seen her for 30 years standing up for our community, night after night for weeks, for every year. Yeah, you go ahead, demonize her. But she has been for our community. And <laughs> whether she's been. making compromises now, you need to find out what is the basis of those? What are, why is she making those kinds of decisions? You've got to find out. And this, this plan as it is, is, is not acceptable to the city. We have to find out a way of compromising with the city to figure out what to do, to figure out a way forward, instead of just fighting like I did when I was your age, younger, and, and, and just being out on the street and making noise. You've got to find out how to be effective. I, I, got to, I got to address the woman in the back who said that the new museum was not being cooperative. The new museum has been cooperative, and I've been trying to work with them for the last six years to do so. So I, I think it's a time when we can cooperate with them more. Thank okay, you. thank you. 
I just want to remind people that I'm going to stick to our time. It's very important. People are getting antsy. Okay? So, and then also, no direct responses, please. We said put comments in the room, be respectful, speak mm -hmm. in the eye. Um, hello. Um, I've been a documentarian for probably now about 20, 30 years. And uh, one of my first video was my interview with Margaret Chin after her first um, failure for city councilwoman and um, to do, to defend somebody who took this long to get her foot in the door. Okay, but she has to answer for what she's done to um, plus I mean, because of the, my first videos about democracies in Chinatown, about the Confucius Plaza demonstration that Basement Workshop, as a member, instigated this uh, demonstration, uh, Confucius Plaza demonstration. But anyway, that's a long history. But I'm getting to feel like sitting in this meeting that this is another form of ethnic cleansing like I've been participant in the Lower East Side for a long time too, and a lot of Hispanics got displaced, you know, buyouts and so on. <clears throat> Plus, about the Jewish issue, uh, Clayton Patterson has a three-volume book about well, writers of the Jewish in the Lower East Side community, so you can always get the three-volume book from Clayton Patterson. I'm just saying that, um, Question is, it's like, shouldn't there be a criteria for Asian American artists? Maybe that should help prevent gentrification. Thank you so much. Okay, it's uh, 8.55. I'm going to bring it back here, and we're just going to go the round, and you're going to close it out. Okay, I, I get a sense that, uh, that some, of, some of you think we're guilt tripping you. <laughs> Um, you know, to be artists in the United States today is really, really tough, right? Showing your work in all this is really, really tough. And I understand that. As a filmmaker, you know, I mean, just to get people to see what you have done, it's very, very difficult. So you are artists, you try to do what you should be doing, try to let your work to be shown. Uh, now, the only question here is, uh, we're not saying you shouldn't be, right? Besides, one person showing your work in the gallery would not bring about gentrification in Chinatown. So, just don't make yourself feel you're too important. <laughs> uh, the, The main point here is, this is information that you should receive, and you could reject it, you could accept it, and this is what we do. Human beings have to make choices, right? Thank you. Um, I think going off what um, Peter was saying, I think, yeah, we're not trying to villainize anyone. I would just encourage I guess this is especially to galleries. Um, a lot of it has to do with your audience, the people who come to see your shows. The gallery goers um, are part of 
what's causing the social problems. Um, they're people that encourage nightlife. They're adding a lot of noise and trash in uh, on streets that are predominantly like senior occupied. So I think people just need to be a little more aware of um, the behaviors that maybe their businesses naturally encourage, and maybe say to people that you know that these are things you shouldn't be doing. And then myself, I uh, will continue trying to integrate as much as possible um, exhibitions, uh, events, uh, performances, and so forth, including um, Chinese and Asian Americans. There's a lot of Asian Americans, non-Chinese as well, in the neighborhood. You may, you may know that as well. Yeah? And I'll do my very best to go after the youth and give them confidence and own a piece of the pie. And you know, I, I just hope that the political arms around here will get together and ask Bill de Blasfield and company for a rent abatement in, 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 in ways of tax abatements to some landlords that may be able to rent not just to the galleries that are going to glut the place, and then I will move out. Yes. Um, I just want to end with thanking everyone for inviting me to be part of this meeting. I'm very excited to stand in solidarity with Chinatown. I'm very happy to use my gallery as a platform for this movement. And um, I look forward to you know, learning better practices and doing what I can to make this part of the everyday conversation. I mean, I fight for artists of color and artists on the margins. And I'm happy to fight for a community so that it doesn't get destroyed. Um, so I hope that we can continue this conversation. I hope that you guys can come to my gallery. Um, I hope that you feel comfortable coming there and using it as a space um, to reach an audience that you might not otherwise reach. Cool. Thank you. So, so I just want to bring it back to um, a little bit about our conversation, right? And again, with a particular focus, right? on the fact that there are, are close to 110 galleries in Chinatown, right? And, and we're sitting here not just talking about galleries, right, understanding the larger system at hand, but you as artists, as gallerists, as newcomers, right, can help make a difference. Stand in solidarity with the community groups that are doing the organizing, helping folks stay in their homes, longtime residents. You don't have to stay idle, right? You can't say at this point, and we're not trying to put people on the spot or vilify you, but now people say, well, what can I do? You know, I've just moved in, and I got priced out of Chelsea. I got priced out of wherever. I'm living here now. But you can, you can do something. You can stand with folks, right? And I think with CAV, with the organizing that CAV does, there's two-pronged strategy. One is tenant organizing, right? Fighting the slumlords who are evicting folks out of their homes, creating miserable conditions. So you can come out. There's a, there's a landlord, R.A. Cohen. He has three or four properties. There are, there are actually residents, tenants who are organizing against them. Find out how you can get involved. Find out how you can help make sure that they're not living under deplorable, inhumane conditions that you would see in the third world, okay? Second thing, the second prong of this whole strategy is around policy change, right? The Chinatown Working Group Plan that folks have been talking about, right? Because it's not just about protecting Chinatown. And I have to say, Margaret Chen is the problem, okay? I mean, I, I, I have to say that very strongly. 
because as a city councilwoman, she does not, her interests are not with working people, not with immigrants, not with the long-time tenants. It's with business, it's with the tourist industry, it's with the condos, it's with the hotels, okay? But she is part of this larger system, right? She's a puppet, we get it, right? So I don't wanna to put too much faith in her, but at the same time, the Chinatown Working Group Plan, not only does it protect affordable housing and preserves neighborhoods and discourages um, displacement, but it also has a lot of protections for arts and culture, okay? So the folks that are here thinking about arts and culture, thinking about that there is art and culture in our community already that exists, and, there, and, and that plan also protects those pr provisions. And so I, I just want to, you know, encourage us to think, not just, I think for us, we're, we're, we're getting very defensive, like, okay, I'm here, so, you know, you're pointing fingers at me, and we're not really saying that. We're saying we're at this place right now. We're not Boyle Heights. We're not the Bronx, right? We're here, 100 galleries, not two, not three, over 100 galleries. So where can we go right now? And I think that what Shelley Silver said is true. In th five, six years, that gallery space is gonna big, be a big box store. And your gallery is never, as if it was never there ever, right? We know this, this is what's gonna happen. So if folks don't unite together, all this shit is gone, right? All of it is gone. I'm sorry, pardon my French. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and I just want us to imagine, you know, as, the, you know, I really appreciate Margaret and Juan for being up here because there are resources and skills that artists can offer to the movement, right? It's not, they're not separate, right? The resources and the skills and the talents, you can use, you can use your talents, you can use your skills and your cultural production skills, the cultural production skills that you have, you can use it for good. You can use it to aid people who are living here to make sure they stay in their homes. And you can unite with us. You as cultural workers, you don't have to be part of the creative class of creative capitalism. You can stand with us, right? And so I think that's really, really, really important um, uh, for us to imagine together what kind of Chinatown do we want to live in, where there's more parks and more community centers, more cultural centers for people, right? And so I think that thinking outside of the box. So. In closing, we're going to do a, a, a mic check. Sorry, I get very passionate, as you can hear. <laughs> so anyway, um, we're going to do a mic check with uh, uh, this statement here. And um, I'm going to, uh, we have plants in the audience who are going to like sort of just rise up and, and, and start to read it. So I'm going to point to them. Diane? <laughs> All right, mic check. Mic check! Or bar, 
Come at the community meetings and to learn and learn what is going on. Two, support the businesses that are essential to low and middle income people in my neighborhood. Three, share information, resources, space, and skills with any community advocates who are working to prevent landlords from mistreating tenants, illegally raising the rent, or harassing tenants to make profits. Four, support my neighbors who are fighting to save their homes. Understand that gentrification and police harassment go hand in hand. Report police harassment and stop the NYPD from violating the civil rights of my neighbors. Five, agree not to rent or buy any unit that is owned by a publicly known slumlord. Support tenants who are fighting against foreclosures, forced evictions, buyouts, and price outs. Six, call out and inform on developers who are using so-called Trojan horse tactics like pop-up shops, galleries, cafes, and trendy retail kiosks to stimulate real estate interest in neighborhoods. Seven, support ongoing efforts to get the city council and mayor to endorse and pass the community-led Chinatown Working Group's rezoning plan <laughs> that reflects the needs of Chinatown's residents, protects current and future affordable housing, preserves the neighborhood, and discourages displacement. Eight, provide language accessibility. Translate my mission, my press releases, and any notices of evening events into Chinese and Spanish. Thank you so much. I have just a closing remark, but first I want to thank the panelists and the respondents and the people that ask questions and for coming together. And this is the, this is the crux. Most often, most often in situations like this, the conversation ends and we go our parts. We're starting a movement here and it involves artists. And I think Chinatown Art Brigade with friends and communities and organizers are leading the way, showing what happens in Chinatown and how we can come together to fight gentrification. As part of Decolonize This Place, Many groups have been meeting here in, turn, in terms of um, gentrification, and there's a people's housing plan coming out. This is for September 29th. It is galleries, artists, anyone who considers themselves part of the problem mm -hmm. can be part of the solution September, uh, sorry, October 29th, October 29th yes. which is Saturday. What time? What time? To be announced. To be announced, time to be announced. But please uh, stick around, have conversations. Our relationships are power. Continue the conversation here. The website has the, the schedule. Sign -up sheet. Sign -up sheet. Make sure you put your name on the sign-up sheet, please, so we can contact you. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. The website is? DecolonizeThisPlace.org, hashtag DecolonizeThisPlace, Facebook, DecolonizeThisPlace, Decolonize wherever you are. <laughs> Take Natasha. <laughs> <laughs>